Heather and I are really grateful and really excited to be moving into this community. And definitely wanted to start off by saying just a huge thank you to so many people. And all of you have been praying for us. And we've just gotten just a tremendous outpouring of support and care over these last number of months. The, the love and the concern that has been shown toward us has been honestly overwhelming. It's, it's just unlike anything we've experienced in our life. And it's made this transition uh, so beautiful and amazing. Uh, I think every day, Heather and I have you know, stolen those few moments you get with four kids in the house. But you know, in those moments, it's like, wow, this has just felt so good and so right. And moving here was a hard thing because we had invested 18 years of our life in Hamilton. So that was our home. And we were leaving that home. And <clears throat> we knew God was going to bring us into this a, a new place, but very early on, we realized we weren't being uh, moved from a home to a place. We were being moved from one home to another, and that's a lot of because of, of your attitude and generosity, uh, your Christ-like spirit. As much as leaving Hamilton felt like leaving home, coming here uh, has felt like a homecoming, and it's been, I just want to say thank you f um, for that sincerely. It's uh, made a huge difference for my family and I. <laughs> it's slightly nicer here than in Hamilton. That's probably, that's probably a fair assessment. I, uh, <laughs> the, uh, this church may just grow simply by my friends back home following me on Instagram and saying, hey, I think I feel called out to uh, Nelson, BC as well. Yeah, we've gotten a few uh, ribbing emails saying, oh man, must be... Tough suffering for Jesus out in uh, Nelson, B.C. Um, today, this sermon, this, this message was really, really difficult for me to prepare for. And I think it was uh, tough because I realized, you know, today marks this new beginning for all of us. It's, it marks a huge new beginning for myself and my family, for this church, for all of us here in different ways. And when a new beginning is that significant, kind of where do you start? How do you kind of launch into that? And in my quieter moments with God as I was praying through it and just steeping in that question, like, where, where do I start, God? Where do I go in this? You know, it was very clear. God was like, just, just start with Jesus. Just start somewhere with Jesus. And that was helpful, but only a little bit helpful because there's like a lot of Jesus stuff in the Bible. So I needed God to kind of narrow it down a little bit more for me. And so there was this process probably of the, over the last two months of just wrestling with God and being like, okay, God, like, where do you want me to land? And I would think of scriptures and I would pray about stuff and I would go um, in and through the gospels again and again and I'd talk to my wife and talk to friends of mine. And uh, when I, again, when I was wise enough to take moments of stillness, there was one kind of verse that kept, I felt, I felt like God was kind of just putting in front of me again and again and again. And it was only one verse. It's one teaching, but it's just one verse. And it's actually become a verse that over the last two months probably has really become pivotal to my own vision of what it means to be a disciple, my vision of what it means to be a pastor, uh, and then for us, what it means to, um, for me and us together to move into the new beginning and the new future God has for us. So I'm going to throw it on the screen here. It's really short. Matthew 13, 52. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there's kind of an Old Testament and a New Testament, kind of two serve halves to the Bible. The Old's a bit bigger, though. 
Matthew is the first book there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the first of the gospel writers. These are kind of the accounts of Jesus. There's four books that specifically share how Jesus lived, what he taught, what he did. And, and the, all the books before that kind of point to there's one coming who's going to be this special deliverer and this special Lord. And all the books after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, are saying, now that Christ has come and died and been resurrected, how now should we live? So Matthew 13, 52. This is a, uh, Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, therefore every teacher of the law who's become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new as well as old. That's it. That's what I just felt like God kept putting in front of me. That's a pretty short verse. Some of you are very hopeful because you're like, oh, this is going to be a short sermon. (laughs) Will it? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, This is actually Jesus' second shortest parable that he teaches. Uh, Parables are like these little stories that trick people into listening. They kind of get people tracking with the main theme and they introduce a twist that makes people have to rethink what they assumed about life, God, everything, their relationships with each other. And all through chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus has been teaching these parables. This actually comes as the very last parable in this rapid-fire succession of parables. So Jesus is teaching all these stories, and they all have to do with the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. How does God's rule and reign come into our lives? Are there things that would threaten it? Um, how, do, how should we respond when we um, hear about this good news of the kingdom? Unfortunately, this little verse, verse 52, tends to get kind of lumped onto the last parable, the parable of the net, some of your Bibles might say, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because it makes no sense when you connect it to that, but when you understand that it's its own self-contained parable, it's the last and final parable, some interesting things begin to arise. It's very short, but I've, I've really come to see it's just tremendously profound. And I honestly think it has a lot to say to us about how the next year or two, as we move into God's future together, what shape it needs to take. So I'm going to read through it again, and then I'm going to walk through it and show you why I think it's so important to every single person here. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new as well as old. So Jesus says, every teacher of the law, that's where he starts. Jesus starts this parable by talking about a teacher of the law. Depending on your translation, it might say scribe. A scribe was like a, what we would think of today as like a Bible expert. They were instituted by Ezra um, in the Old Testament, and their purpose was to preserve the law, was to study it, was to know it inside out and backwards, and to, and to uh, make sure that all of Israel knew the law. Uh, A scribe or a teacher of the law was kind of like a pastor, but probably not as connected to the ground level of people's lives. Scribes were more like academic theologians. They spent their entire time immersed in the text and they would teach people, but it was a little bit more of an ivory tower exercise. It was a little bit more distance from the ground level of people's lives. So if you think of a teacher of the law, if you think about the most Bible-obsessed, theologically rigorous person you know, 
the teachers of the law make that person look like a theological toddler. These are people who know their stuff. Very likely memorized most, if not all, of what we would now consider the Old Testament. Memorized it. Know it. It's in their bones. And not just the Old Testament, but all the interpretations of how we should live in light of God's commands that came down through different pastors over different eras. So these guys were walking encyclopedias of the truth of God. They were experts. But while they started in this good direction, they get um, sidetracked pretty quickly. And by the time Jesus shows up in the scene and the momentum of the teachers of the law and this group has played out for a century or two, their purpose has kind of devolved and degenerated into this really cold, um, religious, in the most negative sense of the word, calcified routine of just preserving traditions, preserving man-made ways of doing things. So in Luke 11, Jesus calls them out. He calls out the teachers of the law. And he says, you're actually not doing anything. All your work, all your obsession over the scripture, you're actually just adding burdens to people's lives. There's no life coming forward from what you're doing. You're not facilitating transformation in God. You're not even pointing people to God. You're just like people who are throwing burdens on other people, and then you're not even lifting a finger to help them. So Jesus has strong condemnatory words towards these guys. You, um, instead of sharing and living out of God's truth, one author said they're kind of peddling dead doctrines and dead traditions that are really just hurting people and holding them back from God. So Jesus' story, this little parable, is about a teacher of the law, a scribe, who becomes a disciple. It's a scribe who becomes a disciple. And a disciple is a really kind of churchy word. You won't hear that word in many other contexts. But it's an important word because it comes up in Jesus' teachings a lot. Um, if you think of a scribe, a scribe's highest aspiration, what they want more than anything else, is to know the text completely and thoroughly so that they can transmit the text accurately to other people. They want knowledge. They want to know God's truth inside out and backwards. But a disciple was someone whose highest aspiration wasn't simply to to know the truths of God. A disciple is someone who wants to become like a rabbi that they're following. So a disciple had a rabbi, we might think of it as a teacher or a mentor, but it was something more intense than that. A disciple is someone who's left their entire way of living and said, this life I'm now leaving behind, and I'm going to follow this rabbi because I believe not only does this rabbi know the truths of God, but they live it in such a way that I want who that rabbi is to rub off on me. I want to become like that person. So a disciple is someone who absolutely values God's truth and God's knowledge, but not as an end in and of itself. A disciple says, I want that truth to so move into my heart and into my bones that I actually become like the rabbi. A word picture that, or a picture that might help you is, um, is this. Scribes are like data sticks. Information, download it. Let's go. Transmit it. Information, information. Disciples are Plato. Scribes say, I want information. And disciples say, I want formation. I want to be formed. I don't want this just to be ideas up in my head. I don't want to just be um, 
spiritually gluttonous in taking in all these truths of God, I want to exercise this out in a way that's real. I don't just want orthodoxy, right teaching, right doctrine. That's important. But a disciple says there's something more. It's about translating that into orthopraxis, right living. And that's what has happened to this scribe. He was a datastic. He was interested in knowledge, well-intended. But now he's taken up Jesus' invitation and he's now a teacher of the law who's a disciple. He wants to be formed by this Jesus. Jesus says, when this happens, you get a unique scenario where you're now like someone who owns a home and you go into the home and you bring out of the storeroom, out of kind of like the basement storage, treasures new as well as old. Now, that doesn't... Uh, strike us as strange. Maybe it doesn't strike us at all. It would have struck them as very strange because when Jesus says the words, this person is like someone who owns a house and they go into their storeroom and they bring out treasures, everyone knows how that sentence is going to end. See, this is the twist in Jesus' parable. We miss it because we maybe don't have the context for it. But the twist is everyone knows where this story is going. When you go into your basement, when you go into your basement at home, what kind of treasures do you find? You find old ones. That's an awesome feeling to find old treasures, to go in there and say, whoa, I totally didn't think I had this anymore. This is amazing. You know, I found this uh, vinyl record. I don't know, what do you guys listen to here? Willie Nelson? For different reasons. So, no, I don't know. I just, it was a, a th I'm throwing darts. I just try it. So you find this... Uh, fill-in-the-blank artist, vinyl record. You're like, this is amazing. But you find these old treasures and you bring them up. That, that's where this is going, right? And Jesus says, no, first what you find is new treasures. You find new treasures as well as old. You're like someone who goes into the truths of God and you find new treasures as well as old. Which is really actually strange because you don't find new treasures in your storage. That's not what happens in normal life. You might find old treasures, you don't find new treasures, but that's, that's the twist of the parable. That's the point of Jesus' teachings. He says, if you will come and follow me as a disciple and leave behind a life where maybe for all the right reasons, you want to know God's truth, you're committed to God's truth, you're very religious, you want to honor God with your life. But Jesus says, if you take the next step and say, come into a relationship with me where you allow me to actually form you and to, I'm, I'm going to plant these uh, my truth, so deep in who, into who you are, you are going to become like me. You're going to find new treasures emerging in your life, not just old ones. There's going to be some new, beautiful things gonna, that I'm going to do in and through you. And that's a, I think it is. I think that's a pretty enticing vision for discipleship of why it's so important to not just, let's say, come to church on Sunday and learn about God and learn about Jesus but to then say, what does it look like for me to now live differently Monday through Saturday in light of what I've learned? How do I let this truth and who Jesus is form me, reform me, reshape me? might be uncomfortable, but I know the end result. I'm going to become more like Jesus. And I, because I know who this Jesus is and I've seen the kind of impact that he has, that's what I want my life to reflect. I don't want anyone else to form me like I want Jesus to form me. And this is something really important 
Jesus says, if you become my disciple, you're going to draw out of your life. God's going to bring into your life new treasures. And that is important because I'm going to guess, even though there's a lot of excitement here today, it's like we're new beginning, new beginning for Nelson Church, and all these kinds of things, there might be people here who on an individual level wonder whether or not there can be anything new for them in their life. I know there are people who get to places, you have experiences because this has happened or that's happened or because I've made these decisions, then the promise of something new, it doesn't really apply to me. Maybe there's old treasures that I can go back into storage and find, but God's probably not interested in doing something new in my life. And that is just not true. In this one verse, Jesus completely upsets that way of thinking and says, absolutely not. If you will commit to being a disciple, as much as you know, as little as you know, but you're taking the next step, new treasures are going to be brought into your life. You are going to experience new insights, new opportunities, new power, new purpose, new meaning, new hope, new relationships, new ideas, newness, and new treasures, things that are really valuable will simply come into your life as a result of being a disciple, of being open to being formed by Jesus. But notice that Jesus also says, you also get the old treasures too. It's treasures new as well as old. And that is hugely significant to me because Jesus says, when the kingdom breaks forth in your life, when God comes to rule and reign in your life, it doesn't mean the old treasures are discarded. It's not like God has to say, well, there's all these good things I gave you at this point in your life, but I've got to take those away to make room for the new ones. All the treasures get brought forward, new and old. And there's lots of implications for that, but let me, can I just highlight one in terms of the one that we have a stake in, which is Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, churches tend to fall into one of two um, kind of temptations. Everything old, the old treasures, those are the only treasures. The old treasures, the old ways, the old traditions. This is the way that we're done, and there are treasures, and we love them when we value them. So that's what we hold on to, and we resist anything new. The other temptation you can fall into is to say, oh, look at these new treasures. This is awesome. God is at work here. It's, it's, it's novel. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, but God is in the new it's really only the new treasures that kind of matter. Resist the old. Let's get rid of it. And so there are churches that are kind of old treasure churches, and there are churches that fall into the temptation of being new treasure churches, right? They're kind of like hymn churches, and they're like contemporary song churches, right? I think it was really great for Justin to do a mix of songs this morning. Did you guys catch that? He's, he's thinking, right? This is good. Uh, another way to think about it, sometimes I use uh, sermon illustrations, and they're probably pretty bad. I'm not a great illustration person, but, um, you know, here you have two types of candy. Marshmallows would be like an old treasure. These have been around for probably since Jesus' day. They, people love them. Useful for all kinds of stuff. They're an old treasure. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen these. I just discovered them in Nelson. Uh, super nibs. These are, these are a modern, uh, these, are just, these are miraculous, these are amazing. They're like nibs, uh, except they're like over a foot long. 
and they're awesome. Uh, I have no doubt that in 20, 30 years from now, people are going to say that was a new treasure that emerged uh, early in 2015, super nibs. And, you know, and, and there are churches and there are people who are like, no, this is, these are the only kinds of treasures. We're going to be a marshmallow church. This is, this is where we are. And there are other people who are like, you know, no, we, we, we recognize the goodness and, and, the, and the new treasure that super nibs is. And this is exciting to us. And, and, and we want to resist the marshmallows. And Jesus is saying, if you become my disciple, you don't have to choose. You want some super nibs? No problem. You want some delicious marshmallows? That's great. I'm looking at some of you. I, I told you the illustrations weren't going to be that good. I'm just, I've, I tried to warn you. I just, is this helpful? No? I don't know. Wow, there you go. Um, Jesus says, if you become my disciple, uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to become a people in your own life who's holding together old and new treasures, but as a church, you're, you're not going to be able to be easily categorized because you're going to become a people who realize, oh, that's an old treasure that we need to bring forward into the future, but we're also going to let go of some things so that God can bring new treasures in. But the treasures come forward. I think that's so exciting. You know, God has been at work in this church for decades, decades and decades, in all kinds of ways. And now that we're on the precipice of this new beginning, is God's plan to draw a line in the sand and say, all the old treasures... Done, just on with the new. Some people think that's how God would work. And Jesus says that's exactly not how God works. When Jesus is in charge, what happens is you say these old treasures, they need to be brought forward. And the new beginning is a new beginning because old treasures and new treasures are being placed together in new ways. And so when I was praying about that and thinking about that, I realized, you know what, I don't know what the old treasures within this church are. I don't know what they are. A lot of my uh, task and role, a lot of what I'm going to spend time doing in probably my first year, maybe even my first two, is listening and learning and asking you guys a lot of questions because I need to become aware of what are the old, what's the old treasure here? That it would be very foolish of me to come in and help facilitate and enact change and in the process, um, close the door on old treasures that God wants to bring forward, but that me and either out of my ego or out of just impatience or a lack of wisdom, I'm just charging ahead without. No, I need to be a leader and I want us to become a church who's listening, listening carefully to God and observing what God is doing in this community so that we can say, let's move forward in a way that all the treasures come forward. But I also want you to notice that Jesus says not anything and everything comes forward. Not anything and everything just automatically gets carried into God's future. Only treasures do. It's only treasure that gets brought forward. It's only the things that actually facilitate transformation in Christ and fuel God's people into mission in the world, those treasures get brought forward. Over the next few years, there's going to be stuff we're going to try, new things, um, innovative things, creative things. And just because they're new doesn't mean they get a free pass. We might realize after a season that as well-intended as these new things were, we're just going to say, you know what? They're not actually facilitating transformation in Christ. They might not even be bad things. They're just not doing what we thought they would. They're not treasures. They're new, but they're not treasures. So we're going to let them go. We're not just going to be enamored by the fact that they're new. If they're not helping us become 
more formed like Jesus. We're just going to let them go. And there'll be old things that we will bring forward and say, I wonder if these are an old treasure. And over time, I hope we'll have the courage at some points to say, you know what? These are things that aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not helping to form us as disciples. So we're going to let go of these. But we don't need to be scared in that posture because Jesus says God will always keep the old treasures and he will always bring new treasures. That's why being a Christian and being a disciple and being a church of people who are interested in becoming disciples is so interesting and fascinating because there's always something new and when the new comes, you're always having to hold it in this dynamic tension with the old and say, how do these work together in new ways? It's so exciting and so interesting and that's the journey that I want us to go on. There's one final thing before I close about this parable, this really, really short teaching that uh, I want to share with you. I I think it's kind of mind-blowing. When Jesus says his disciples will bring out treasures, the word that he uses is ekbalo in the Greek. Ekbalo is used quite a bit in the New Testament, but primarily in one context. It's when Jesus ekbalos demons. Jesus drives out, casts out, pushes out demons. And the word that is used there is ekbalo. And in this parable, brings out is that exact word. What's going on? Well, This is a verb that conveys tremendous force and power. It is just tremendously energetic. When Ekbalo is happening, this isn't some nice, tidy ordering of something. It is a wall of force that is impinging upon something else and pushing it out or away. And so this picture is that a homeowner has gone into their storehouse and they've discovered new treasures as well as old. Amazing. Think about how amazing that would be to go into your basement and to realize, whoa, the, this is here? I didn't, this is amazing. And, and then I found this as well. And then you come up and you follow them. You cast them out. Where are you casting them out? Into the world. You're not bringing the treasures up to sit them on your dining room table and say, look at my treasure. This is, look what God is doing for me. Isn't that amazing? You don't bring the treasures up and set them on a mantle so that when you host people, you can say, look at the treasures, old and new, God has given me. Isn't God good? The store owner the dis- sorry, the house owner, the disciple, Jesus says, is someone who finds this treasure and realizes the treasure isn't for me. The treasure is for the world. I bring it up and I throw it out. I cast it out. Are you kidding me? This treasure, I want, I want my neighbors to hear about it. I want them to experience it. This isn't to be kept within the walls of my house. I'm to cast it out. When the kingdom comes, when the kingdom comes, it's a casting out, right? It's a casting out of treasure. 
It's the new and the old. Please, I don't want to hurt anybody, but I might. There's some marshmallows. The farther I fling it back. I thought about doing this, and I was like, I don't want to damage any of the stained glass. I figured marshmallow would be a good choice. This is a, this is a casting out. God's treasures, whether they're old or whether they're new, they're not for us. That's the mission of the church, though. The mission of the church is to go into the truth of God and gather it up and then go into our workplaces and our families and our relationships and our community, ultimately the world, and, and cast them out in ways that lead to life. Cast them out in ways that lead to people saying, I'm interested in learning more about this Jesus. Yes, you can eat them. That's totally fine. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's totally fine. This is the mission of the church. This is why we're here. And when I thought about this, about this idea of disciples being people who just cast out and drive out God's blessings, old and new, I just said, you know, that's the kind, that's the kind of pastor I want to be. I want to teach in such a way that this is happening every week. And I want us to become a people that this is what God is doing in and through our lives. And we're maybe we're starting by casting it into each other's lives as we get to know each other and as I get to know you and you get to know me. But ultimately that we become a church who is being formed by Jesus in such a way that we're casting out all the treasures that God is showing us to to Nelson, to the city. I think it would be amazing. This is kind of my very vague, I don't know what it looks like, but this is my dream. My dream would be that um, this would be a people, it would be so clear and evident to the Nelson community for whom God is not on their radar at all or for whom they're resisting God that we are, we've allowed ourselves and humbled ourselves before God so powerfully. We've, been, we've allowed ourselves to be shaped by him so, um, so mightily that whether or not they agree with us, they're saying, that is a fascinating place and that's a fascinating people because when I connect with them, whether in ways Um, direct or indirect, they are a place that is just beautifying and blessing this community with all kinds of treasures, all kinds of things that matter, things old and things new, and they're doing interesting things, and they're, they're constantly pointing us to Jesus, and I don't know how I feel about that, but there is something there, and I want to learn more. I want to find out who this Jesus is. What would a church look like that brought out of their relationship with Jesus treasures old and new? What would a church look like that brought out of the storehouses of God's truth treasures old and new and just casted them out into this community? What would that look like? I do not know. But I want to find out. Let's pray. God, give us a vision for discipleship. Not just knowing about you, knowing you, being formed by you. As we move into this new beginning, God, we want to be open to new treasures, but we want to be wise and identify the old treasures that need to be brought forward, God. And we don't want to be a community. I don't believe we want to be a community that is hoarding the treasure to ourselves. Would you teach us, God? Would you lead us? Would you show us how to akabalo these treasures into a city in need of your grace and love and mercy. Teach us, form us. We love you, God. Please, please help us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.